Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and we are here with Donna, who's <laughs> going to continue her teaching today on the Psalms. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind everyone that we are creeping up on Advent, but we do have Advent candles left. If you get the order in by the 24th, we will get you that candle before Advent begins. We also still have books, books of loving life as a stay-at-home mom. If you go to the homepage of the website, you can sign up to receive your free copy. Yes. So, Donna, welcome, and let's talk about but, the Psalms. Let's talk about the Psalms. But I have two things. That, one of them I just remembered. We finished the Staying series. We did. And that was weeks ago on podcast. But now we have a successful story of staying video. And it's on our front page of our website. And it's about a couple. If you live here in Phoenix, a couple whose names are... Crystal. Oh, oh! I, th I thought you were just going for that. Crystal and Blake, or Blake and Crystal. They've been married for 33 years, and their story is compelling. And they joined me in front of the camera, and we talked about... What happened, what happened in the middle, and what happened in the end. And I have had the privilege of knowing them both through this entire 33 years of marriage. And wow, what God can do when we surrender. So watch it. There's no charge for it. Watch it. Pass it around. If you have a young couples group and you know of couples who are having difficulty in marriage, watch it. It's going to be available for a tool to, for you to use to be encouraged as your own couple and for anyone else you have. And then I have a great surprise. We tried to get this in. Um, I think we even made an announcement that we were going to do a gathering on December 2nd of modern homemakers and homemakers by choice people. Anyone who wants to come from anywhere, but it will be here locally, except that December 2 was a very, very bad idea. Am I the one who told all of you that you should have a more organized calendar when it comes to December? because how many people you have in your family, there'll be three events each, plus you're gifting and partying and eating and cooking and all the things don't add anything to the December calendar that doesn't need to be there. So we moved it to February 10th, right here in the middle of your winter, wherever you're living. I'm hoping some of the, um, the, the Ogama Listeners will come. Yes, it'll be the depth of your dark winter, and you can come to the sunshine of Arizona. February 10th at Chaparral Christian Church, and the reason for Chaparral Christian Church, it was the first place outside of a private home that we met. Our board met recently, and... Um, they're lovely, lovely women. We've never had a man on our board, but we've had a lot of men who have helped us through the years of business and transition and wise counsel. But afterwards, I got a note from one of them that talked about the intimacy of the evening in a private home and the reminder 
that 37 years ago, that's where we began. It was a wonderful time to be together to look back and see what God has done. So today, I'm moving forward on this marvelous subject. Now, I love to teach, you know that. I love the Word, you know that. But I am personally not only enjoying but gaining so much strength about the Psalms. So if you haven't heard the introduction, I'm not going to go over it. I'm going to ask you to go back and listen to Praying Psalm, Praying the Psalms introduction. All the lessons on Praying the Psalms will stand alone, but the introduction will be helpful to you. And you know how fond I am of Eugene Peterson and his writings. Peterson describes humans differently than the classic definition of the tool-making creatures. He says, We are not animals living by sheer instinct. We are not angels. We use scripture to hear what God says to us and the sacraments to receive his life. Prayers are tools, but tools are not the most important thing about us. God is. God is the most important thing about you and about me and about everyone you know. God has done it all, creating, redeeming, blessing, God in action, creating, redeeming, and blessing. He made the universe. He came incarnate as Christ, and he pours his spirit out on all of us to this day. So a tool is not an end in of itself. We are bodies. We are the end. The, the tool is just what helps us. We are bodies, mind workers, love workers. We live and share our feelings of sadness and love and doubting and belief. But tools are required. Every distinct human behavior, farming, loving, cooking, building, believing, they are made of wood, steel, building, and believing. Most of them are made of wood, steel, plastic, and some words. The plowing for farmers, the pot for cooking, and the book for learning, learning all essential things. A tool that is made of words is no less a tool. And I laughed out loud because as I was preparing this lesson, I thought... So many times in the years that we have been a part of modern homemakers or homemakers by choice, a a silly list that you will find in the Loving Life book became a, a bookmark and a reality. And I have to tell you that I get notes and letters, and when I run into people in our community, they say, oh, it's an auto motto. Now, when I wrote the book that you're about to receive, if you're writing and asking for the free book, I put in a few auto mottos. My publisher thought it was darling, and David said, you didn't. And I said, we did. But when the years have passed by, so many people have said, and the tool of auto mottos comes to me often. So words can be tools. A tool that is made of words is no less a tool. They help us be the best version of ourselves. So tools are made of prayers, or prayers are made of tools, and they're made for believing. Animals, not angels, need tools. We need tools, and the degree we live matters about the tools we use. Prayers are tools. Let me say that again. 
prayers are tools for becoming and being our best self. Now, we live in the technological era. I know that's not a surprise to you. It's an information era. Computers are tools. We, most of us, have computers, and we use them a fair bit. I type this lesson on my computer. I can remember when I first got my computer, and I thought I could never do that. I had written them always in longhand on yellow legal pads. My brother, who's only a few years younger than me, has never learned how to use a computer. And as I was preparing this lesson, I thought, his life has been so constricted because of that. And you know as well as I do, you don't have a computer, you don't have a piece of technology like an iPhone or um, Samsung, what's the other one called? Androids. Then you you cannot buy certain things, you cannot enter certain things, you, you cannot use a password, you don't have it on your phone, you have to get a hard copy. My brother doesn't have a copy machine, he doesn't have a computer. When he flies, we have to make certain that his pass... Uh, his, uh, what do you call those, Uh, boarding passes are there waiting for him at the airport. For all of you deeply desire to uh, have a closer walk with Christ, and you have listened to music of a Christian sort, perhaps you've listened to the group, the Hillsong. You call me out unto the water. I find you in oceans deep. If I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves and rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. That piece of music, which is seven minutes long, is is so beautifully uh, uh, musically composed. And as I was thinking about this toolbox of the Psalms, they are the same. They are beautifully composed. They use phrases like, I find you in oceans deep. If I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. It is a tool for working out our faith, all 150 psalms. They're carefully crafted prayers with an immense diversity. They show us God in our obedience and our disobedience, in my pain, in my sorrow, in my delight, and in my joy. When I get to gardening, which I really like to do, and I have not been doing the last few years as much, we've moved into a smaller home, and there were a lot of tending to the gardens that were there. So I've just started planting some new things. And we built two boxes in front of our house, red brick to match our little red brick house, and we put geraniums in them. So when I put the geraniums in, I needed my gloves and my little rake and my little shovel and my little snippers, and I have the most artistic, beautiful, red, plastic, long neck watering can. It's a delight to just look at it. When I get ready to do my gardening, I get all of those things in one place. When I get to writing, I have my computer, my glasses, my Bible, and my books. The Psalms are my best tools for working out my faith. It's a requisite in my life toolbox, 150 
offerings. I mentioned in my last session, the intro on Psalms, that I tried the Psalms on prepared when I was younger, and I quit them. Maybe you have also. They're pictures and ideas and poetry, and they can be abstract, and I'm very linear and black and white. And for those of you who know me well, you know that I only wear black and white clothes, and it's 42 years now that I've only been wearing black and white clothes. Can't believe how fast those years went by. Every year or so, I say to my husband, who looks at me the most, and when I say only, I mean my sleepwear and my swimwear, my exercise clothes, everything is all black and white. And I'll say to Dave, are you tired of seeing me in black and white? And he said, he looks his little crinkle in his eyes, and he said, you know, babe, I am still amazed that you pulled it off. <laughs> I'm not sure if that means he's really tired of it, but he knows how expensive it would be at this point to change. May I recommend a book to you? Um, It's written by Nan Merrill, Merrill like you would think, M-E-R-R-I-L-L, and it's called Psalms for Praying. She's modulated some of the words. It's not quite like Eugene's The Message, but it does have a more flowing, um, a more quickly flowing accessibility. So you might try that if you are, like I once was, stuck there. What does that mean? And why all the extra words? The forms of emotive writing is there for our reveling, for our hurting, for our grieving, for our praise, and for our weeping. While I once found the poetry a bit overwhelming, I now find the Psalms very comforting. Since their writing, the writing of the Psalms in their original form, they have been prayed, sung, memorized, recited around the world in every culture, practiced and practiced and practiced. The practice of prayer, the history of prayer, Let me be clear that they are not necessary to salvation. I I, I want to be sure that you understand they are not necessary to salvation, for by grace we are saved and through grace alone. But they are absolutely essential to our development and closer relationship with God. So many times I hear someone say, I just want to be closer to God. I want to know Him better. I want to be able to express myself to Him. Well, these 150 Psalms are the expressions and the closeness of people, men, who lived in an era long before the Word was written in a book, and they have done exactly that. If we want to give the full glory and mature in our faith, and mature in our humanity with our head, mind, and soul. Remember what the scripture, both Old and New Covenant, tells us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. Don't pass up the Psalms. They'll help you. They'll train you in more comprehensive prayer. They're not patched together. They're not emotional fragments. They're not dishonesty, or they're not muddled. They become a part of us. They change us. They turn and turn and turn and twist, and they turn our molehills into mountains. You will not be less or lost if you do not lean into the Psalms. You will not. But Christ prayed them, and the early church was certain that there was a connection to him 
through praying the Psalms. Peterson calls the Psalms a queer fish. Don't you love it? But prayer reaches us in the deep parts and provides wholeness and connectedness and connectedness from me to God. And I happen to think of a pair of words could not describe me any better. I'm a queer fish. I, I do things oddly. I think things oddly. I find difficulty expressing some of the deepest feelings I have. And the Psalms have helped me. Now, I want you to know that I'm in this journey with you. I've chosen this material for two intentions. One, that the end of the teaching portion of Modern Homemakers podcast would be finished with something from God's Word that could live on and on in your life. So I chose the Psalms. Prayer helps me articulate. Prayer helps me know my own heart. Prayer speaks my real feelings. Many, many times I have been praying and a phrase will come out of my mouth and I will hear it with my ear. Ah, a new dimension, hearing. And I, and I will think, I didn't consciously think to say those words. Now, you brainiacs know what's really going on in my mind, that it's up there somewhere. I just haven't been able to find it and formulate it and articulate articulated, but prayer helps me articulate the things I'm not always able to speak clearly. I know that I'm his, his daughter in every moment and in every incident. I know that the reality of my heart, which shows through when I cannot sit with him long enough, and it shows through when I'm trying to hide from him things I know he already knows. My prayers are an act of obedience, seeking the one true God and his purpose for me and all I do. I can remember as a young woman, and I grew up in a very um, <clears throat> prayerful communities, many prayerful communities, and I always felt very paltry. I thought, I don't pray like that. I don't pray that often. I remember lying about praying. In my prayers this morning, because I'd heard people say that. This morning when I was with God, and I thought, hmm, this morning I was not with God. But I listened to many people say it, and several times I told a bald-faced lie by saying I had prayed this morning when I hadn't. The practice of praying through the Psalms is very straightforward. Psalm by Psalm. This is a design of the Holy Spirit to deliver to the church a common form of prayer. This is so straightforward. There's just no other way to add or take away from it. Now, the liturgical churches, and if you don't understand that word in its fullness, they are churches that are Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Anglican, but there are a lot of other churches that are bringing the liturgical church into their churches. But these churches have prayer books to guide you through what is a once-a-month experience of reading all 150 psalms. Morning, night, daily, and at the end of the month, you've read them all the way through. The motions of the heart come into harmony with the movements of my lips. Doing it matters. Doing it matters. Reciting these prayers, saying them aloud 
matters. It changes us. But I don't understand. Now, I understand that you don't understand because I didn't understand either. But when I say these words and I connect myself to the writers of these psalms in the world they lived in, and I connect myself to the Spirit of God in the Word of God, I am changed by it. Their words, some of them more lyrical than I'll ever be, some of them confounding. But the more I read them, of course, the more I find a richness in them. Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm, and it has in every uh, verse something about the Word of God. And Psalm 119 tells us, verse 11, I have laid up thy word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Why do we lay up the word? Why do we memorize the word? Why do we know the epistles from the prophets? Why do we have the whole 66 book? Is that we might hide the word in our heart that we might sin less. There's so much to take in about the Psalms. And while I'm teaching this material here in Arizona, I'm teaching the hows and whys, and I don't have the privilege of your questions and hearing your angst and desire and process. But I want you to stay with these ideas. Come and listen to these lessons again. Be patient with yourself and have loads and loads of do-overs. Don't quit, though. Stay there with the Psalms just for a season until you can take it in. So one, get a feeling of the text. Spoken words are much easier, especially when we see the person. Their tone, their, their pace, their harshness, their softness, their jerkiness, their monotone. But when we read the Psalms, we look to words and how they're arranged. So remember, we're talking again about poetry and lyric. Poetry, it's an intense form of our language. Poets see and hear what we miss, and they try to get us on board with feeling words to the things we see and feel. Brene Brown has, I think it's her newest book, maybe not, um, Atlas. It's called Atlas. I think it may be called Atlas of the Feelings. But she came to this time with a client or in a research lab that she discovered the words we used were 10 or 11 words, and we repeated them and repeated them and repeated them. And she said, no, no, there are much more, there are many more words. And I actually put all of those words, I took them and typed them down. There were 67 of them. Or is that an eight? Maybe it's 87. What is that, Leah? Is that an eight or a six? Eight. 87. She put in 80 words. Places we go when things are uncertain or too much. Stress, excitement, overwhelm, dread, anxiety, fear, worry, vulnerability, avoidance. So what she's saying is when it's too much, how many words do you have right there? Two, four, six, nine words that express what you're feeling. And she did that with many individual subjects. Places we go when it's beyond us. Awe, surprise, wonder, confusion, interest, curiosity. I recommend that you get that book and you make yourself a copy of these words and other words that you can use when you are searching for a connection or your heart is open or your life is sad or you've been wronged. I, I loved her energy and putting all of that into words. 
poets are going for the jugular. So um, let me let me step up back up a little bit, saying feeling words do things to us, and we begin to see and feel things we're not often prepared for. So then we want to run. So poets are going for the jugular. That's what Peterson says. And I thought to myself, well, he's absolutely right. I just never thought about that way. They go for the juggler because they want us to see more, to feel more, to express more. So poetry is not cosmetic. It's a root language. It's intestinal. It's complex. It has full of imagery and rhythm and themes and ideas. And it can be very demanding. Internal intertwinings, perceptions, nuances, subtle invitations. And you're saying right now, Donna, that sounds like a lot of work. And I'm saying to you, it it really is. But that's who you are. That's how God made you. Every word I have just used is a part of how God made us in our intricacies. That we don't just have to love in one way or dislike in one way. We can love and speak of love and learn to love him and others in many ways. And poetry, poets help us do that. The work of drawing closer to God is used by many words, enlarging our perception, drawing us closer to the heart of God. It allows us to deal not with the prose or the poetry. We, we get past that. We don't get stuck on, oh, another word, multisyllabic, that I'm not using every day in my language. We get past that, and we get to the part that the Psalms are about, and that's the heart, the digging for gold. I grew up in a very cold climate, snow, rain, humidity, flowers only in the season. I moved to the sun where it's really the sun shines in Arizona, 323 days a year. And for those of you who live in Oregon, you're just plain out jealous. And I want to tell you there are days when I'm plain out jealous for a few quiet, cloudy days and some rain. Here we have cactus, not flowers. We have sand-colored dirt, and we have hot, hotter, and hottest temperatures in five months of the year, not two or three like it used to be. This summer we had 123. We had 110 for over 30 days during the summer. So when we read about the soil and the weather, we're digging for gold when we read the Psalms. If we can learn to love and pray the Psalms, we will be opened to a revealed theology, a defined canon and a practiced liturgy that does not require us going to an Anglican church or an Episcopalian church or leaving our churches in any way whatsoever. We're called to use our minds. We are mind, body, and soul. And when we study God, which is theology, the study of God, he makes himself known and he uses our minds to understand how he works. May I add what Peterson is saying, less psychology and more theology? He says, we don't need any more psychology. The Psalms are full of human story, drama, explosion, intimacy, life, death. They push through to the conclusions of where God is. But isn't prayer mostly psychology? We're complex people, full of complex yearnings, unnamed desires, ideas, and desires for knowing. 
When we talk to God, we're full of dreams and fears and misunderstandings. And so isn't part of our prayer psychological? It absolutely is. But God has everything to do with all of this. Now, I want to, I want to read to you uh, two paragraphs from Peterson's work on the Psalms. But the Psalms were not prayed by people trying to understand themselves. They are not the record of people searching for the meaning of life. They were prayed by people who understood that God had everything to do with them. God, not their feelings, was the center. God, not their soul, was the issue. God, not the meaning of life, was critical. Feelings and souls and meanings were not excluded. In fact, they're very evidence, but they are not the reason for prayer. Hmm. Now, can I, can I just add to this lofty man who writes those two paragraphs are profound to me. They, they shatter these concepts of when I'm sad, but they also break my heart when, as a nation or in a striving situation that has hit upon our nation, we often speak of praying. And I think, I wonder what that means to a newscaster. Is he looking for a resolve to this dilemma or this pain or this murder or this mass shooting? You see, the Psalms aren't there to solve the dilemma. The Psalms are not there about how I feel or what the issue is or what's critical. The Psalms are there to evidence my desire for God. So if you're hungry for God or you're hungry for an inner understanding of yourself. If you, if you feed that hunger for God, you'll have a much deeper understanding of yourself. If you're looking for knowledge about the people of the Bible, the Psalms will do that. If you desire to enhance your own human potential, the Psalms will do that also because they are passionate about God. They come from a people who hear God speak to them. And they know the words are the most important words spoken. They are people who respond. They are people who answer. The word of God takes precedence over every human word, every piece of wisdom that humans have to offer. I have had many wonderful mentors, and some of them you know. But I want you to know that every one of them, at one place or another, told me something that was absolutely incorrect. They, they just didn't know enough about it to speak about it. And I want you to know that I have mentored many women. I have met with many men and women in spiritual direction, and I have not always had the right answer. Over human discourse and inquiry and advice, these things come to be a part of who we are, but we don't have the answers. We don't know where God is revealing himself to each of us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and God was the Word, John tells us in the very first verse of his opening uh, gospel. While we've advanced in technology, and AI is the new fad, the psalmist said the Greeks and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptian neighbors who gave themselves to intelligent passions. They were exploring things like the earth, the sky, and the stars. They weren't sending people to the moon. They were exploring what these places looked like because they were still new to them. They knew truth from falsehood. God was not arbitrary nor destructive. 
He was not manipulative or manipulatable. He was not indifferent, and they chose to live by faith. The Psalms are personal answers to personal prayers, conditioned by God's word, not by a human soul's mood. Can I read that one more time? The Psalms are personal answers to the personal prayers, conditioned by God's word and not by human soul's mood. Remember, the Psalms are stuck in the middle of 66 books, a part of the bigger picture. They don't stand alone. They are part of the whole. The Bible helps us know these writers of the Psalms by their countries, their conditions, their wars, their heartaches, their joys, victories. David's whole life is spilled out in the Psalms. There is talk of marriage and death and sacrifice and rivers they crossed and fountains they drank from. I'm not trying to call out the Psalms as anything other than a prayer book, poetic in nature and part of the Genesis, Joshua, Esther, John, Matthew, Romans, and Revelation. None of them stand alone, just as we don't stand alone. We stand on the shoulders of all the men and women who have gone before us and all 66 books of the Bible. I'm calling out to the many people who have said, I have a hard time praying. When I ask a woman who comes to me for counsel, advice, mentoring, prayer, I ask them, what is the thing you struggle with most? And I've never kept a tally, but I know in my heart, the majority of those people have said to me, I have a hard time praying. And I'm confessing with you, I have too. I'm also saying that praying these prayers and the prayers you pray in your communities are helpful. And you may not belong to a liturgical church that prays or even prays in church together. As for me, I was often a solo prayer. And the phrase, with sighs too deep for words, I rested in that because I didn't have words. And then I found that the Psalms had words for my sighs. We confess and pray our sins, our hopes, our dreams. We dare not speak of some of them, and we do these things in solitude and privacy, and they are essential. The Psalms were all prayed in community, in regular times of worship. They were not the shepherds in the hills. They were the words spoken in the congregation by the leaders of the congregation to encourage the congregation. Are you a part of the congregation? I believe you are. I believe you are part of God's family. And I thank you for joining in these lessons, uh, in Psalms and the lessons that I've chosen to teach over the years. But I want to encourage you in this final series on the book of Psalms that the Psalms are a place where you will find the answer to the dilemma you carry around, and I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, and I'm not sure God's listening. I'm delighted to be with you this day. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of finishing in prayer, perhaps through the Psalms.